Today's episode is brought to you by the U.S. Bank Altitude Go Visa Signature Card. To learn more, visit usbank.com slash altitude go. As a traveler, it's a fact you're going to need to manage your spending in different currencies. You need a service that not only helps you send, spend, and receive in different currencies fast, but also does it without the hidden fees or exchange rate markups. This is where WISE comes in. WISE is the easiest way to connect all of your finances internationally. I've been a customer for over a decade. It's been a lifesaver for me as a traveler, a nomad, and now a permanent resident abroad. If you're a traveler who's still using your regular bank, you need to check this out. Join 16 million customers and learn how the WISE account could work for you by downloading the app or visiting wise.com slash travel. That's wise.com slash travel. Thank you to WISE for supporting today's show. This episode of Zero to Travels brought to you by the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder with seven drive modes. The Pathfinder's available intelligent 4x4 is built for even the most epic journeys. Learn more at NissanUSA.com. I didn't really have anyone in my you know, inner circle who had traveled a lot. And so I was going to be the one to break the norm. And it just seemed you know, far out adventure. And that's what I was looking for. That was a clip from my guest today who is also a member of this listening community. And when he sent me the email he sent me, which I'll share with you in this show, I knew I had to have him on because he's just such a great example of how to create a life of travel and to keep it going if you want travel to be a part of your life for the long term. There are a lot of different ways to do it. This guy's been in the Peace Corps. He's worked on cruise ships. He's been teaching English abroad. You'll hear how that all evolved for him and pull out those valuable lessons for yourself. Plus, we talk about reverse culture shock and reversing the time capsule, one of the easiest ways to have a beautiful cultural exchange with locals. And if you're not getting the support or you don't think you're going to get the support from your family or your friends for your travel lifestyle, should you keep your travel plans a secret? Something we touch on in this interview why he loved working on cruise ships, why it was such an incredible way to get paid to travel and save money, how travel influences your post-travel career choices, settling down after years abroad and roaming, and so much more. It's all happening right now in today's show. Plus, we'll talk about why it can be helpful to chunk out your time and how you can set yourself up for traveling even after you settle down. So let's buckle up. Strap in and get into today's show, shall we? Thanks for being here, and welcome to the Zero to Travel podcast, my friend. You're listening to the Zero to Travel podcast, where we explore exciting travel-based work, lifestyle, and business opportunities, helping you to achieve your wildest travel dreams. And now your host, world wanderer and travel junkie, Jason Moore. Hey, it's Jason with ZeroToTravel.com. Welcome to the show. Thanks for hanging out, letting me bring a little travel into your ears today. This is the show to help you travel the world on your terms to fill your life with as much travel as you desire, no matter what your situation or experience. How are you doing, my friend? Hope things are well in your neck of the woods. Get in touch, by the way. Jason at ZeroToTravel.com is my email, and you can leave me a voicemail with that link in the show notes. I always want to encourage you to make it a two-way conversation. I got a great guest recommendation from a listener the other day, and this is a topic we haven't covered. So I want to thank Ginger, if she's listening, for that voicemail, and I'm doing my best to get that guest on. Be on the lookout. Now, 
Before we get into today's show, I do want to share this email I got from a listener, Joe, who is our featured guest today, Joe Esten. And he has a pretty incredible story. And I knew when he sent me an email, I had to get him on because this is just such a wonderful example of how you know, being flexible, being open-minded, and kind of willing to get on the path of travel can turn into a life of travel and a totally different career direction and can just inform and and guide a lot of your life during your travels, but also after your travels. Travel is such a powerful thing. As you know, it's not just about the experience you're having while you're traveling, but it impacts your whole life. And there are a lot of takeaways for you today in this conversation that you can implement into your own travel lifestyle to create your own ongoing life of travel. Now, before we get into the interview, I want to share a snippet of this email I got from Joe. It's the email that started the whole thing. And I want to remind you to stick around afterwards because one of the topics that comes up is committing to settling down and some of the fears around that. You'll hear Joe talk about how that's creating some anxiety for him after going off the road. Uh, But how can you do it in a way where you're still open for traveling? Because when you love travel, I find that's one of those things that kind of sticks with most people, I'd say for most, if not all of your life. You know, some hobbies come and go, but if you're kind of a traveler at heart, I, I I don't see many travelers not interested in seeing new places later in life. It's like, eh, nah, I don't want to go to Australia anymore. Eh, I'm over that. What? <laughs> I still want to go to Australia. I'll get there one day. Anyway, you can settle down after being nomadic or after being on the road for a while, or even if you haven't traveled at all and you're trying to think, well, how can I sort of create a lifestyle right now that gives me the flexibility to still travel in the future, to to be settled down in a way that's comfortable, but not so settled down that I'm setting myself up for kind of making it very difficult for me to travel later. Not impossible. It's never impossible. But, you know, there are things you can do that can set yourself up and, and relieve the stress of, oh my gosh, if I'm settling down, I'm not going to travel again. So we'll, I'll talk a little bit about that on the backside of this interview. But let me read a little bit of the email that Joe sent. He said, hey, mate, I was listening to one of your podcasts while sitting in a cafe in Chengdu, China, and I realized I'd always wanted to reach out but never did. I've been an avid listener since around inception, so he's been listening since 2015. So thanks, Joe. He goes on to say, I've been doing odd jobs all over for the past six years and have loved all the different places I've gotten to go because of it. I started out joining the Peace Corps, went to work on cruise ships, and now I've been teaching in China for the last two years. My traveling is about to take a slight respite as I go back to school for a bit, but I've worked out my schedule to have long weekends and I've already started planning trips around the USA while I'm back. I really haven't explored the US as much as I would have liked, so this gives me the opportunity to do so. And after I read this email, I thought, well, look at all these things Joe has done. I know he's got some stories. I know he's got some lessons to share. And I had a hunch that this wasn't all planned out. This evolved for him in real time. And it started by just getting out on the road, getting abroad in the Peace Corps, and doing something in line with your heart and your soul and your desire to travel. And when I emailed him back, asked him to come on the show, so excited that he agreed to do it and share his experience because I knew there'd be a lot here. And now we're going to dig into that. You can hear our conversation. Stick around on the other side. 
We'll talk about setting yourself up for a life of travel, even when you settle down, and share a quote and just some reflections on the interview as a whole. So thanks again for listening. Please enjoy the interview, and I will see you on the other side, my friend. What's up, man? Nothing. How are you? Uh, pretty well. It's a nice sunny day here. No complaints. Where, where are you? You look like you're in a cluttered area. <laughs> what is that? There's like a football calendar and some things piled up. Where are you? Uh, I'm actually staying with my family right now. So I'm back back at Holman's and staying with my family for a little bit before I go off to school. So. And where is that? Uh, Wisconsin. Oh, yeah. I hear the accent now. <laughs> are you a, are you a euchre player? I am a euchre player. Oh yeah, uh, I played that a ton in my college days with oh. uh, all my roommates. It's the best. The, my favorite card game, by the way, spelled E U C H R E. Right? Is that right? I know. Right? It doesn't make any sense. No, not at all. You grew up in Wisconsin. Yep. Yep. I grew up in the Milwaukee area. So okay. Yeah. I grew up in this area, and then I went to school in Madison. And that's sweet so. place. Oh my, it's a wonderful place. <laughs> Do they still have the bar there where there's like a tree growing in the middle of it? Oh yeah. Uh, there's so many funky bars there. They got the, the, the swing, the tree swings and stuff in the bars and all the different couches right at the bar too. Yeah. It's a good place. I bought a skateboard in that town once. True story. Where, where are you back from? Uh, so I actually just returned to the country. So I was, I returned from China about one week ago, and on my way back, I stopped in Colorado to visit my friend who uh, just moved out there. So, okay. And how long were you in China until you got back a week ago? Uh, I was in China for just under two years. So, right, and you haven't October, been back since then. Nope. No, okay. if I would have come back, I don't think they would have let me in with everything going on in the world. <laughs> Well, I mean, we have a lot to talk about here. I, I should let everybody know who you are, right? I'm on with Joe Esten. Yep. I should always ask people before I get into these introductions how to pronounce their names. You wrote me an email just, I don't know, a week or two ago, and you were sitting in a cafe in Chengdu, China. <laughs> and you talked about all the different ways you traveled, which I want to get into today. You were in the Peace Corps. You've worked on cruise ships. You've been teaching English in China. And now you're going, it's like a new, sounds like you're going to a new phase in, in, in life, maybe hitting pause and travel for a little bit. I feel like, wow, Joe's part of this listening community. You've had this diverse set of experiences. I know there are some lessons to be learned from, from your experience here. So uh, I wanted to say welcome to the Zero to Travel podcast, Joe. Thank you so much. I appreciate being here. I was just reaching out because I appreciate the podcast so much. Thank you. And thanks for the kind words. You actually didn't email me to promote anything or be on the show, but sometimes when I get emails like this from listeners, it's just nice for people to meet other people in the community that have figured out different ways to travel. And I want to, as you know, it's all about sharing that knowledge with each other here. So I guess I want to start by asking you how, how it feels to be back. Are you having uh, some culture shock, some reverse culture shock? I would definitely say yes. The culture shock has been a little bit different. Uh, so I was living in Guangzhou, which is a very large city. It's right across the border from Hong Kong in the southern part of China. And, you know, 
huge metropolis, which I've never lived in when I was in the U.S. at all. So that was kind of a big, you know, when I first moved there, that was a culture shock. And then coming back to the United States, you know, my first stop back in the United States was in Colorado, which is, as you know, just (laughs) lots of nature and mountains and a little bit different than big city feel. Uh, So it's been it's been a little bit different getting adjusted to everything and you know the food has definitely been a lot a lot a lot different than what i remember it being in the u.s from spending two years in china but yeah in in what way well you know you just in china when you're walking around in the grocery store almost every single grocery store has has the same food so you feel like you have lots of options but at the end of the day you're actually just seeing the same food in different aisles and then you come to the U.S. and these grocery stores are just these giant mega stores where you can find every flavor of cookie under the sun and, you know, every type of pasta known to man. And it's definitely just like there's a lot of a lot more choices when you when you when you get back to the U.S. that I didn't realize I had when I was uh, you know abroad for a while. Uh, I was talking to my mom last night, actually, because I'm preparing to go back to the U.S. and I haven't been for Oh, it was like two and a half years or something like that. She's like, oh, well, you know, what do you want at the store? I'll go to the store and get some stuff. So um, we don't have to go to the store. I was like, no, no, no. I, I want to go to the grocery store. <laughs> I want to see for myself once again, that I can get 14 different kinds of chocolate cereal. <laughs> of course. And, and the same thing with my, my family keeps asking me, they're like, so do you want us to make you anything now that you're home? I'm like, anything. Anything is great, you know. <laughs> I, I believe that you all know what the good food is, so I will. Yeah. I will well, I mean, you got some everything. great like home, home. What do you say, home style or, or comfort food? I guess in the Midwest. Exactly. What's your favorite oh, yeah. comfort? It's always something that comes out of a crock pot that's like, I don't know, been cooking for a while in the kitchen. You smell. I mean, what what is your uh, what is your comfort food? Of so choice? we have this dish that I, I don't know if it's you know just a family dish, but it's called hamburger hi hat. And it's just a, you know, a casserole of egg noodles and beef and cream of mushroom soup. And just like you said, just kind of sits in the pot all day. And then, I mean, oh my goodness. That's like one of the, one of those dishes that our family just adores. Everyone, <laughs> all my siblings, they're all like, yep, whenever we come home, that's what we're having. So, And have you had it yet? I haven't actually. We've been doing, apparently my, my, my dad got a grill for Father's Day and he's been on a, on a grill kick because in Wisconsin, you can only use your grill, you know, for half of the year. You can't use it for the full year. No, so see, no, he, no, that's, that's a mindset issue. I'm telling you. <laughs> I mean, I live in Norway and I use my grill all year round. You can that's use fair. your, no, I know it gets very cold there. It's true. It's hard to keep, it's actually hard to cook the meat evenly. When, what, are we in a food podcast right now? What's going on here? <laughs> It's funny because I think food's a big part of, you know, coming home. I mean, part of the excitement, uh, obviously, seeing friends and family, being back in your home country, and then like right up near the top of that list is getting back to some of the food, right? Oh, definitely. <laughs> all, I mean, all the traveling that I've done has been lots of food tours and all of that jazz. It's been great. You know, within like sort of your friend group and your circle, are you sort of the rare exception, like somebody that just disappeared and? went overseas for a period of time. Most people, you know, I imagine just coming from the West and what I know, at least how it was some years ago, um, most people weren't traveling in that way, kind of living overseas and doing that sort of thing. Yeah, definitely. Uh, You know, when I was in college, I lived in a house and in my house, there were eight other guys. So typical, typical college house. And from all of those guys, I'm 
basically the only one that's left the country for an extended period of time. You know, most of most of my friends from high school, a lot of them are still here in you know my hometown. Um, I know a few of them that, that have studied abroad or taught abroad for one year or maybe two years. But yes, I'm the, the rare oddity that comes with my group of, of friends and family that are around here. It's just interesting because you're just a week back, right? And it's so fresh. And I always feel like when you come, I'm not sure how you're feeling right now, but I always felt like still on the outside in some ways. And it's very hard to communicate. Not that you have to communicate, like, do you even have to communicate the shift, any shifts that have taken place within yourself, just from the experiences you've had. And then you come back and then you're just like dropped into a bar with your friends who have been in the same sort of setting the whole time. Not that they haven't changed, but it's a different kind of thing when you go and live abroad for an extended period of time. You're, you're just bringing this whole set of experiences back with you, but then people in some ways still kind of expect the same old Joe, you know? Right. You know, you kind of feel like you're in a, in a time capsule, right? You know, it's like a reverse time capsule because I went and visited my friend who's had so many different things happen to him in the time that I've been gone. But then when you get back to it, you kind of just look at each other and you're like, oh, well, I feel like we're the same people that we were, you know, two years ago, last time I came and hung out. But in the end of the day, both of us have had huge life experiences that took us in different directions. And yet, you know, we still shoot the and everything is all good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's just an interesting time, I think, when you get, when you're getting reacclimated to your home culture. How does the culture in the U.S. affect you as compared to the culture in China? That's a that's a deep question. You know, I think that culture in China is very you know family oriented, and which is similar to the to the U.S. You know, we have a very family oriented culture, but there's a lot more uh, independence. You know, people in the U.S. As soon as they graduate high school, most of the time will kind of venture a little bit away from their family and, and take a break. And you know, the culture in China is very much where people will live with their families, live with their parents until they get married. So it could be until they're 28, 29, 30. And you know, so when I was spending time with my coworkers, a lot of times it was like, oh yeah, we're going to my, you know, our house, which my parents and my grandparents live at. And you know, for me, that seems kind of different. <laughs> it's a little bit different than, oh, we're going to go back to my apartment, which is, you know, me and my roommate. Uh, you know, you're kind of like, oh, do I have to, do I have to do anything different? Cause I'm, you know, meeting your family or, you know, even just spending time with other people in, in, in the same family group. And no, it's, it's fine. That's just, that's just how we do everything here. Um, you know, and there's a lot more like cohesiveness in, in China where people are working, not to say that people in the U.S. don't work together, but, you know, what I've noticed is that, you know, people in China really work together. And when I'm, you know, all my coworkers and everything, we just all meshed really well and spent a lot of time, you know, talking and learning about each other and each other's past just to kind of really become a cohesive unit. Um, different than some, you know, experience that I've had and other people have had working just in the corporate world in the U.S. It's a little bit, a little bit different than that. Yeah, it's interesting just thinking about, I mean, settling into a culture, right? And being present with it. And just, it's really hard not to compare, right? Like you're coming from China and then you go back to the States, you know, but as a traveler, if you want to be really sort of living in the present moment, it's, it's kind of about just taking in the culture you're in and just 
sort of being a part of it and absorbing it and not trying to judge, I think, in some ways. But at the same time, when you come from one extreme to another, I don't know if I want to say extremes, but just yeah, different cultures, it, 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 you can't help sometimes but compare and then want to, I think, as a human, like maybe import some of the best things from this culture here and take these things here. And, and it's just like, exactly, it's just fascinating. Yeah, you want to make yourself you want to make yourself comfortable in someone else's culture, and and we're kind of trained to do that by bringing in our own culture, and you know having to having to find that ability to just completely let go and absorb everything that you can is something that you know, takes a lot of time and, and practice and, and getting into. But the benefit of bringing your culture too is that that's where the cultural exchange happens, right? Because on on that side, people in China are like, oh. Well, I get to hang out with Joe. I get to meet like an American, and 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 you're kind of like a mini ambassador for your country, right? Like they get <laughs> to like you get to have this beautiful cultural exchange. Of course, to have that, you know, you bring some of your own, right? I mean, it happens that I'm in an international family, right? So I try to instill some of the Americana into my kids, and <laughs> I, you know, I force it down their throats. Like, hey guys, we're having Thanksgiving. Here we go. Here's the turkey and mashed potatoes. <laughs> yeah, and like we were saying before, with food, it's one of the one of the easiest ways to do that. You know, absorb. You know, that's one of the easiest ways to exchange food. I know. You know, we found uh, a, a foreign grocery store there one time, and inside were goldfish, which are of course, you know, in the U.S., goldfish are everywhere. You can buy goldfish at Walgreens or at the corner, you know, gas station. But in China, it's not really a thing. They had no idea. And just being able to share, you know, like, oh, well, this is a delicious snack that we that lots of people in the in America love. Uh, just kind of that exchange, and then them exchanging their cookies and their crackers that come from China as well. You know, that's one of the easiest ways to exchange culture too. Let's take a brief pause. We'll be right back. This episode is brought to you by U.S. Bank. Recently, I went out for tacos, and it wasn't even Friday. Yes, we have Taco Friday in Norway, not Taco Tuesday. Well, more importantly, I could have earned rewards for every scrumptious bite of those chorizo soft shells. Introducing the U.S. Bank Altitude Go Visa Signature Card. Earn four times points when you go out for dining or order takeout and restaurant delivery, including tacos. Plus, you can earn two times points when you shop for or order your groceries, two times points when you need to fill up or charge up at gas stations and EV charging stations. You're even rewarded with two times points just for your favorite streaming services. Go to usbank.com slash altitude. Go! To learn more about how you can earn 20,000 bonus points worth $200 if you spend $1,000 in the first 90 days of opening your account. Win big with the U.S. Bank Altitude Go Visa Signature Card. Visit usbank.com slash Altitude Go to apply. Limited time offer. The creditor and issuer of this card is U.S. Bank National Association pursuant to a license from Visa USA, Inc. Some restrictions may apply. This episode of Zero to Travel is presented by the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder. From muddy jungle paths and snowy trails to rolling sand dunes, the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder has the capability to take you to some of the most epic destinations on Earth. We're excited to partner with Nissan because our listeners know we love to celebrate the joy of exploring the world and finding the best off-the-beaten-path destinations to visit. And there's no better vehicle for that than the 2024 Nissan 
Pathfinder. With seven drive modes, the Pathfinder's available intelligent 4x4 is built for even the most epic journeys, and it even has the best towing capacity in its class, up to 6,000 pounds, so you can bring the fun with you. But Nissan also knows that it's not just about where you go. In a Pathfinder, the real fun comes from getting there, and that's something we love celebrating here on the Zero to Travel podcast. We believe that life is about finding that joy within the journey itself, and that's why we're thrilled to partner with Nissan to celebrate adventurers everywhere. So thanks again to Nissan for sponsoring this episode of Zero to Travel and for the reminder to chase bigger, better, more exciting adventures and enjoy the ride along the way. Learn more at NissanUSA.com. Now, back to the show. So what what kickstarted travel for you? Was it joining the Peace Corps? Did you do that right after college? Talk about that time in your life and why you decided to join the Peace Corps? Yeah. I mean, as a, so my family, my family is pretty large. And so I did not have a lot of opportunities growing up to travel. Um, my, I have some extended family that lives in the New England area. And so every summer, my grandparents would go out there to visit them. And every other summer, I would maybe get to visit. And so that was basically the extent of my traveling when I grew up. How many brothers and, and sisters do you have? I have seven. Okay. So pretty, it's a little hard to travel with that big of a family. And where are you in the hierarchy? <laughs> right at the top. Okay. <laughs> All the way at the top. Um, that's why I got a little bit special treatment from my grandparents being the first one. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so then when I was in you know, university, I was doing the normal, you know, going to classes and then had an internship. And while I was in my internship working at, you know, just an office job, I was doing I was reading tons of travel blogs, just realizing how much of a world there was out there and how much I really haven't had the chance to experience it and fell onto this travel blog of a girl who was joining the Peace Corps. And it just sounded fascinating. And, you know, while my parents and my grandparents were believing that I was applying for jobs after university, I was actually in the process of applying for Peace Corps uh, to, to be you able kept to- kept it a secret kind of. Yeah, to an extent. I, you know, the first time I brought it up, it kind of didn't go over as, you know, oh, but, you know, you could just get a job where you had your internship or, oh, well, what about, you know, going off and doing, you know, a job here? So it didn't go as well as I'd wanted it to. So I kind of kept it a secret and continued on with that process. And when I started applying to Peace Corps is when they first changed the application process. So before I had applied, you know, years before it was this long interviews and health checks and all of these different things. And then when I, they had changed it right before I had started applying where essentially everything can be done online. And it was, you know, instead of weeks on end type of application, it was, you can sit down and do the whole thing in about five hours, um, kind of like applying for any type of job. And it's a two year commitment, right? It is a two-year commitment. It's a little over two years because you have about 10 weeks of training before the two years. And those don't officially count for your two years of service. And do you uh, get to pick where you go if you get accepted? Or? To an extent. Um, you So there's different options. You can choose you know, your top three countries that you'd like to go to, or you can choose your top three regions of the world. Uh, so for me, that's what I ended up doing. And so Sub-Saharan Africa was my top region. And then when I got the email, they had decided that the place that I would go was Namibia, which is just north of South Africa. It's a 
very interesting country. <laughs> so I didn't get to choose my country per se, but I got to choose the area and, and what sector of the Peace Corps I wanted to work in, which was education. What drew you to the Peace Corps as opposed to taking the job or doing the thing that everybody wanted you to do? <laughs> I think it was just, you know, the adventure, you know, I mean, staying in the, in the Midwest is, a, is definitely as was as, as American as it gets. And just knowing about all of these different parts of the world and seeing, you know, and, and seeing all these different people who have traveled just on YouTube or reading about these blogs. And, you know, like I said, I didn't, I didn't really have anyone in my you know, inner circle who had traveled a lot. And so I was going to be the one to break the norm. And it just seemed, you know, far out adventure. And that's what I was looking for. I didn't, I, I, after working in an internship, I realized that I wasn't really cut out for the corporate world. It wasn't for me. I was sitting around. I felt so bored all of the time. You know, what, what, what were you doing? To, Could just give us uh, 30 marketing, seconds. So marketing. Communication, okay. marketing. Yep. Yeah. Um, and I just, you know, I kept looking for more and more things to do. And my boss just kept saying, just slow down. It's okay. We'll, we'll find something for you to do and in my head. I'm, I, I, I gotta do something. I gotta get, gotta move. And so I, before I had actually heard if I'd gotten into the Peace Corps, I had ended up buying myself a one-way ticket to Ireland three days after my graduation ceremony. And I just, you know, finished up my graduation ceremony and I flew on a plane over to Ireland and I hiked around for about 14 days, um, actually just hiking. I flew out to the West Coast. It's called the Dingle Peninsula. I don't know if you've beautiful. heard of it. It's a beautiful. And I hiked around the whole peninsula. And oh, I was yeah. like, all right, this is what I want to do. And it was just an incredible experience. And while I was there, found out that I had gotten the opportunity to go into the Peace Corps. So I ended up coming back for, you know, a little bit to say goodbye to my family and then flew off, flew off to Namibia and just ready for an adventure. How did your family take it when they, when the secret came out? Uh, they were, they were excited for me. You know, as soon as, as soon as the secret came out that I was going, it was more of a real thing to them. I think that until, until there was a, a definite I am going, it was kind of like a, well, you know, you can still apply for that job here, or you can still, I, I know a person who you could talk to about this job. And then when it, when it officially happened, uh, they were super supportive. You know, everyone was amazed at what was going to happen and just, you know, taking every moment of it was kind of the, the theme of all of my good bar, goodbye parties were see what you see, what's going to happen and, and taking everything that you can. Yeah. I mean, and that could be a tip for some people, right? Like uh, if those of you out there listening that maybe don't have the supportive or, or maybe you're anticipating some pushback on your decision to do something like that, whether it's Peace Corps, or a one-way ticket to Ireland or something else, you know, maybe keeping it a secret is an option. It is your life after all, right? You know, you know, maybe coming out at the end when things are already um, set is a better strategy because uh, then, you know, there's sort of no going back. No, nobody can do anything about it. It's like, Hey, the wheels are in motion here. Exactly. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not taking back my acceptance. <laughs> Oops, sorry. Well, talk about your time in the Peace Corps in Namibia. I mean, what's the country like? What was the experience like? Did it stack up to kind of what your, what you were thinking it was going to be as you, Definitely. as you came into it? Yeah. What did you learn? I mean, this is a multi-tiered thing, but just <laughs> so, uh, a lot of questions in that yeah, one question. Uh, too many. 
Um, so I went, I went into the Peace Corps with, you know, as open mind as I possibly could. Um, I, you know, I did some research on it. Honestly, when I found out that I was going to a country called Namibia, I had never even heard of this country. You know, first thing I did is I open up a map and I go, so what is it? You know, thinking in my head, I'm like, the only country I've heard of that sounds like this is Zambia. So maybe, maybe the N is sideways. And I look it up I'm like, nope, nope, that, that's a country right down there. And, you know, Namibia is the second least densely populated country in the world. So the country itself is about the size of Germany, um, but there are only 2 million people in the whole country. And so there is just nobody. I mean, the whole country is basically a desert. Uh, so flying in and learning about all these things, I was, you know, really invigorated and ready to go with what this adventure was going to bring. And during your training, they do a little bit of a questionnaire that asks you what kind of site do you want to go to? Um, you know, people come from all walks of life. And so some people are really ready to rough it. And some people are still kind of coming in, not ready for that traditional African experience, um, but they're, you know, excited to do it. And so they kind of take this questionnaire of, okay, do you want to live in a, a full standing concrete building or are you more okay with living in uh, apartment? Like, because some of the education volunteers, which is what I was in, ended up living in major cities. And then some of us lived out in villages. And I kind of went into the questionnaire saying, I'm willing to do just about anything. I want as traditional of an experience as I can get. And that's exactly what I got. <laughs> you know, I rolled up to, to my school, which desert all around, no cell signal. And I get dropped off next to this hut, this stick and straw hut. And that was that was my house for uh, for my time at the school. And it was about as traditional as it could get. You know, I had a mosquito net cover in my bed. I had to go out. I had a little concrete shower area, which I had a bucket and a cup. And that was the way that I had to wash myself. I had to go and fetch my water from the school, which was about uh, 200 meters. I don't know. I think, I don't know what that would be. In No running water. Yeah. No, no running water at my, at my, um, in my homestead. So I lived with a host family, which was nice. Uh, we all cooked dinner together. The, my host dad was actually the principal of the school that I worked at. Uh, and then his sister was kind of the, the janitor for the school. So I lived very close to the school. And so our homestead had electricity, which was essentially just a super long extension cable from the school that kind of plopped itself down in the middle of our homestead. And then each of us had an extension cable to our hut. So I did have light and I was able to use my computer, but no Wi-Fi, barely any cell service out in the, in my, in my little village. Um, and that was exactly what I was looking for. It was a fantastic experience. It really forced me to get to know all of the people in my village. Uh, it forced me to really absorb the language of my village and, and try to communicate. One of the things that I learned there and that I've taken to basically all the different places that I've traveled is the ability to, to just walk around and how many people you meet from just doing a daily walk. And so I would walk around my entire village every single night and every night someone different would be sitting out eating dinner early or someone would be walking along the, the river near me and I would just 
start talking to them and just asking them, oh, where do you live? Do you have any kids that go to the school that I might teach? Just kind of, you know, most of the time trying to speak in their language, but you find out when you go to these type of places that a lot of these people really just want to speak to you in English because they want to learn English just as much as you are trying to learn their language. And so as much as I'm trying to practice the language of my village, they're trying to practice English. And so we're kind of talking in, you know, two languages at the same time communicating with each other, which is always a fascinating experience. Um, but that, you know, that was something that I learned doing there. And I took it to a lot of the different places that I've traveled of this idea of just, you never know who you're going to meet when you walk around a place. And, you know, there, there are plenty of volunteers that I was with who, you know, had different experiences and they found it harder to walk around their village. Um, but I, you know, I really blended in with my, my school and my other teachers and, Every single, you know, weekend, one of the teachers would ask if I needed to be driven into the city, if I needed to get food, or if I wanted to go and visit their family in some other village. And I think a lot of that came from the fact that I was just willing to walk around and show myself out as this person instead of hiding away or, you know, taking, you know, saying, okay, I'm going to be my teacher and then I'm going to go home. And then I'm going to be my teacher and I'm going to go home. And, you know, there are plenty of people who go to Peace Corps and believe that it's their job, which it is. I was a teacher, but it it takes that extra little effort to really go in and, you know, show yourself to, to the village or wherever you're staying and, you know, get that cultural exchange. Well, I mean, it sounds like I'm dating myself here, but you come from a hyper-connected generation, right? I mean, you went from, you didn't grow up without the internet, right? I mean, you've always had the internet. So to go from that sort of environment to no Wi-Fi, you're just there. I mean, did that teach you some things about yourself or, or make you slow down in some way? Or what, what did that you think do to your, your personality or your psyche or, or any or all the above? <laughs> uh, it, I think that was the first time that I really became, you know, kind of a, and I wouldn't classify myself as a minimalist, but it really got me to understanding what was necessary for myself to live and to experience the, the, the world around me. Um, you collect so many things, especially when you're in college, you collect all these things and your room or your apartment or your house gets so cluttered with all these different things. And then when I went to Peace Corps, we were, where we were allowed to bring essentially two giant check bags. They were allowed two check bags and then your personal items. And having to like really narrow it down to these two bags felt so difficult when I was going to the Peace Corps. And every single time I filled it up, I was weighing it to make sure that it wasn't over, you know, the 50 pound limit. And then coming back from Peace Corps, I had thrown away a whole suitcase worth of things. And I only came back with one suitcase at that time because there were so many things that I realized I didn't need. You know, part of it was, was giving away gifts to my village and leaving, you know, things for them. But it wasn't a difficult thing to get rid of all of these things because I just realized that I didn't need any of this stuff anymore. And that transitioned with me when I went and worked on a cruise ship where again, people were coming and working on a cruise ship with these huge suitcases full of things because you're living on the ship and I'm walking on the ship with, you're just like, Hey man, I have a shower now. This is awesome. I, I, I have two backpacks <laughs> and that's it. And everybody's just, what, how, how do you have all of your stuff in there? 
So, well, how did how did the cruise ship thing happen? Was it just a conscious decision? You're like, okay, I'm done Peace Corps now. Was it a dream to work on a cruise ship, or was it just a way that you could keep traveling that you heard about? How did that that happen for you? Yeah, it was a, a way to keep traveling. I came back from the Peace Corps, and I really had nothing going for me. You know, I didn't really have any idea what I wanted to do, but I did know that I wanted to travel, and so I got you know local job just working food service type of thing while I was in the process of, you know, finding something else to do and got in touch with someone who helps, you know, an agency who helps people get onto cruise ships, sent to my resume. And within, you know, a couple of weeks, I had an interview with, with Norwegian. So I was working on Norwegian cruise lines and that, you know, basically I had two different offers from two cruise lines and, I decided whichever one left sooner was the one I was going to accept. <laughs> I basically was like, as soon as I can get out of here, I am on the next ship. I'm on the next flight. And basically that's what happened. Took me to, you know, uh, or Miami, which is my, where my first, where my first ship landed. And that's just went straight. I think there was about a three or four month gap somewhere in three or four month gap from when I finished Peace Corps to when I, when I jumped on the cruise ship. And what were you um, doing on that cruise ship? I work? was working with kids, working with kids. Okay. <laughs> I mean, you get paid to travel. Oh my goodness. It was the most wonderful experience ever. Uh, you know, they, you get, you get paid to travel. And at the end of the day, your expenses are basically as much as you are willing to spend at the crew bar every night because <laughs> there are no other expenses for you on the ship. You know, it's free, free housing, free transportation. You know, you're working almost every single day anyway. So when you get off the ship, most of the time you're getting off just to relax. And of course you can spend your money when you get off the, get off the ship, but that's again, up to you. If you want to have different travel experiences, um, I did two different contracts on cruise ships. My first one was in the Caribbean. And so that one traveled to Jamaica and the Bahamas. And when I was on that one, I spent a lot less getting off the ship. You know, there, most of the, most of the days when I was getting off the ship, spending my time away from the kids, it was relaxing on the beach with all of my coworkers and, you know, not as much money to spend. And then my second ship was docked in Italy, and that one went around the Mediterranean. And I I noticed that my my spending went a lot more when I was getting off the ship in the Mediterranean. Because, but I mean, I was part of the experience too, right? I mean, oh my goodness, just wanting to go on different different tours, and you know, stopping off in in Greece and being like, you know what, today I'm going to do a wine tour because that's what I want to do in Greece today, and doing those kind of things. So. Again, you're right. They pay for your travel. They pay for your flights out to the ship. They pay for your flights back home. So your spending is kind of kind of up to you at that point. Yeah. And uh, I've, I've done some shows and articles on, on working on cruise ships. So I can link to those and help people out if they're interested. How long did you work on cruise ships and how did that lead to teaching in China? So I worked on cruise ships for about a little under two years again, about a year and a half. I, I do a lot of two-year stints, apparently. Yeah, and then you were bored with it, or you were just like, "Hey, I want to do something different." <laughs> uh, just kind of, you know, had a your your medical for cruise ships, and this might be specific to Norwegian, but your medical work 
only is good for two years. And so when I was done with my second contract, part of what I needed to do was to go back and do another medical check. But since I was stationed in Europe, I didn't want them to fly me back. And so you have an option to basically forego them purchasing your airplane ticket to basically just on your last day, you just get off the ship and you just become a citizen wherever they, right. they drop they just, you off. They there. drop you off. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And so it happened to be in Barcelona, which is a beautiful city that I, I loved. And I just decided, I was like, you know what? I want to stay in Barcelona for a little bit. And then from Barcelona, went up to Paris for a little bit. And then from Paris, I went and met my brother who was studying abroad in, in England for a bit. And so I ended up missing my um, opportunity to renew my medical. And it's not to say that I couldn't have gone back and gotten it done, but what for the cruise ship, kind of how your contracts work is for every month that you work on a cruise ship is what you are given in vacation time. So if you do a six month contract, they give you then six weeks of vacation before your next contract would start. And I had missed, essentially missed my opportunity to do my health check to get onto my next contract. And this was sort of on purpose, but sort of not, you know, like I said, part of it was I wanted to continue to explore Europe because I was over there and it just ended up missing that. And then when I went back to the U S I just never really, you know, I was in contact with them, but once you get off of their schedule, it's really hard to get back onto the cruise ship scheduling um, process. Um, And so, you know, kind of going back and forth with them about, oh, we have a ship open for you, but it won't actually start until four months from now. You basically miss your contract cycle. And so I was kind of like, okay, well, then I'm going to start looking for something else. And if I want to go back, is that a possibility? And they said, of course, that's totally a possibility. You know, you're still in our system. We're going to keep you, you know, you just need to send us your medical check when it's all done. I said, okay. And in that time frame ended up getting <laughs> getting a job in China, uh, which looking back at it right now was pretty lucky because I ended up in China right at the end of 2019. Um, basically when I would have started another contract on the cruise ships, which All right. now, yeah. now looking back- But then back, you, were at the, been... you were in the center of the pandemic also, so there's that thing. <laughs> that, I was going to say, so there, there, was, there was a give and take, um, but a lot of my, my coworkers from the cruise ships kind of got stranded because of everything that happened with the pandemic. And, you know, I'm, I'm very under the belief of everything happens for a reason. And I was like, wow, I kind of just missed this situation. <laughs> okay. Yeah. This will work. And then you were locked in China, of course, then you were probably literally like stuck there, but you literally. had a job and you were teaching stuck there. the yep. whole time and getting paid and having a cultural yeah. experience still. Oh yeah, definitely. I was very lucky that my school was able to keep me employed. There were plenty of other foreign teachers in China who just couldn't, their schools couldn't employ them anymore because of the pandemic. They were losing so much money and they just, we had about, about a four month to five month break there at the beginning of 2020, where essentially the entire country was closed down, including all the schools. And I, my school was really great. And we went super quickly into an online learning platform and producing videos and calling the kids every single day. And that was able to continue to keep their profits going, which helped me continue to get paid while I was, while I was there. Um, 
but yeah, couldn't couldn't leave at all. If I had left China, there was no no reentry process at the for the whole time I was I was gone. Wow. We'll be right back. Would you love to have an incredible cup of coffee every day? I've tried it all. I've done the pour over. I've done the French press. But I tasted an AeroPress coffee many years ago, and immediately I was sold. I had to get one. AeroPress is a patented three-in-one brew technology. This combines the flavor benefits of espresso, pour-over, and French press all into one compact portable device built for travel or home. I love things you can use in both places. This device has over 55,000 five-star reviews in over 60 countries. AeroPress is the best-reviewed coffee press on the planet. I've owned one for so many years, I don't even remember how long it's been. And they are under 50 bucks. So they also make an exceptional gift. Thoughtful, proven, tasty, and travel-oriented. Who wouldn't love that? Now, you get 20% off just for being a listener of this show at aeropress.com slash zero to travel. That's aeropress, A-E-R-O-P-R-E-S-S dot com slash zero to travel. That will save you 20% on checkout. Thanks to Aeropress for supporting today's show. Hey, it's Jason here. Did you know you are invited to join the first ever Zero to Travel community trip? Yes, we're planning a trip together. We're headed to Morocco November 30th through December 9th. And you can get all the details at zerototravel.com slash trip. It's open for booking now. We have 13 spots left at the time of this recording. And you have until the end of March to book. So if you're interested in traveling with an amazing community, this community, a small group of people, on an incredible journey through Morocco together with me. Sign up over there at zerototravel.com slash trip to get all the details. Thanks for listening and hope to see you there. Now, back to the show. And what are you going back to school for now? You're coming- uh, going back to school for, for education. I've, I've realized that I have, a, I have a very strong passion of working with uh, children. So I, you know, in Peace Corps, I was doing the education. I was working fourth grade through 12th grade. And then on the cruise ship, I was a youth counselor as well as a youth program manager and working with kids there and then went to China and I was a preschool teacher, preschool kindergarten teacher. And working with kids has always been, you know, a huge passion of mine. I'm, you know, my family and friends will classify me as a, as a kid at heart, um, probably where the adventuring comes from. So I just have a huge push towards towards not just education in general but but children's development one thing that i've learned from traveling is how different education systems across the world are <laughs> and not to say that the education system in the us is bad but i believe that there are so many different things that we can learn from the way that education is across the world and from experiencing that in a super rural village in Namibia and then a metropolis of Guangzhou and then interacting with kids and parents from all over the world on the cruise ship, I've learned so many different things wow. about education. Yeah. Boy, right. What a set of experiences to bring to the table. Uh, yeah. Whatever kids end up in your class are going to be very lucky, I feel. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. Yeah. So I've been, I've been looking into that and potentially working as like a study abroad advisor too. Um, so kind of going into like education globalization um, so that I can still do 
a little bit of that traveling and, you know, help find universities or schools that want to do study abroad mechanics, um, as well as, you know, kind of really focus on the education system. Are you, are you ready to, to be settled down in this way to go to school and be settled down for what, a couple of oh, years? Boy. Is it... <laughs> um, the million oh boy, dollar that's... question. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so the, 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 the big answer is I have never been more nervous in my life than, uh, going back to school, which I bet a lot of people are kind of looking at, like, are you've done all these different things. And honestly, I can say that besides my initial nervousness of joining Peace Corps, I've never been nervous about any of my travels and then coming home and being told that, like you said, I have to sit here for a year and learn something has made me more nervous than, than I've ever been. Um, you know, I, I part of the reason that I, I picked the program that I did is that I know, knowing my own work ethic, that I can do the whole program within a year and a half. And that was kind of one of the draws that, you know, if I work really hard, I can do it in a year and a half, which is allow me to not, you know, be settled down too much. And also it gave me an opportunity because I really haven't explored the United States at all. You know, I'm one of those people who have been to more countries around the world than I've been to states in the United States. And I want to see more of the U.S. and I want to do different backpacking trips. And, you know, I've been sitting at home for a couple of days now and I'm spending half of my time looking up Google flights about, all right, what is the cheapest national park I can get to this weekend? Or, you know, how far is it to drive to blank city? Because I really <laughs> want to explore this, this area. Um, and so I'm going to take the, the opportunity to spend more time doing domestic travel as opposed to all the time that I've spent doing the, the international travel while I'm back. Congratulations on everything, man. I think it's really cool that you know, even going into this next phase, it's inspiring me. You're still looking at things through the travel lens, right? So you're like, okay, I know I'm, I've identified, like I've not, I'm not just making up that I'm interested in education. Like I've had all of these diverse experiences in education. This is something I want to do. I love being around kids. And now you're taking a year and a half or so to get out sort of off the road, maybe decompress from the travel lifestyle, but also further your education in education, I suppose. But then you're still like, hey, well, there's opportunities within education that can allow me to travel, like being a study abroad you know, counselor, whatever the case is. So you're still kind of looking at those opportunities within education to kind of keep your, your travel lifestyle going. And I mean, I just, I wanted to say, I mean, I just wanted to bring you on and say, thanks for your time. I think your story illustrates something that I'm always sort of trying to beat over everybody's head in some way, or I'm beating the drum, I guess, so to speak, of like the idea of being open-minded and being flexible in terms of like how you travel and the opportunities that are presented to you. And then just getting on the path and seeing where it takes you. Cause I think if you're open to to just having experiences and traveling, you know, things kind of lead to the next like when you left for the Peace Corps, you didn't know you're going to be working on cruise ships and then you were going to be teaching in China. You know, it kind of evolved, but like it never would have happened if you didn't even do the first thing. So I just think your story's a great example of that whole idea of what I say, like being a travel Swiss army knife, right? It's like, you want to just kind of have these different tools and be open and try these different things and get out there exactly. and get on the journey. Right. I mean, yeah. If your desire to travel is high enough, there will always be opportunities for you to travel. You just, you just have to be, like you said, open to just about anything. I mean, there's so many different options that I was looking into just to continue my traveling when 
I was, you know, waiting around for something, something, something to come up, you know, applying for all these different international experiences, just because I knew that I wanted to get out there and continue exploring. And, you know, just having that desire is what, what continued to push me forward in my, my adventures. Yeah. And then I don't know if you had, you know, student debt or anything coming out, but I mean, all the things you've done are paid things or ways that you can also save money and you have your expenses covered and things like that. So there are a lot of ways to do this, you know, financially. Yeah. I mean, I think what said it all is when you said, you know, you were having the the cruise ship jobs uh, and you had the two to choose from and you're like, whichever one leaves sooner. I mean, (laughs) that kind of says it all. And I mean, you mentioned, you know, being the first one, maybe in your family to kind of break the norm or whatever, but it's cool to think, you know, you're, you're the oldest. So what kind of example you're setting for your siblings, right? Coming back with these stories, you never know what kind of impact you're making in in that Mm -hmm. way as well. So definitely. Yeah. I noticed that, you know, our family was very close knit when I was growing up. And then when I kind of left right away to, you know, far off places, it kind of gave an opportunity for my siblings to be like, Oh, we can, we can also, you know, move away from home. And, you know, like I said, my brother ended up studying abroad in, in England and that was, you know, a big experience for him. And, you know, I have another brother who's been traveling around doing, you know, uh, playing, playing instruments and playing, playing, doing music and stuff, that kind of thing. And it just gave an opportunity for them to see that one, my family was okay with everything. And then two, that everything was going to be all right if you move, move on. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, thanks for your time. Any, any last parting thoughts you want to share to anybody listening? That's, uh, (laughs) Uh, I think, I think I've said enough. I think that, like I said, if your desire to travel is, is high enough and you have the creativity to kind of go for it, then you can basically do whatever you want. And that's kind of what I've taken from being a part of this community um, and listening to everybody else's stories is that there's so many different ways to do it. So if you're creative enough and large enough of, of uh, adventure spirit, then you can definitely get out there. Right on. Thanks, Joe. And uh, good luck going back to school and everything you got coming up. I'm sure it's going to be great things for you. Thanks. Thanks for talking to me. I appreciate being on. All right. Take care. There you have it. Thank you to Joe for agreeing to come on the show and share his experience. I love hearing from travelers who have found a way to keep their travels going. This is part of the fascination I've always had with those conversations in hostels or just out and about with other travelers, especially the ones that have been on the road for years. How have they done it? How have they continued to find a way to do it? In fact, that is the genesis of this entire show was my desire to share those stories with others so we could all learn from them. So Joe, thank you so much for sharing yours. Really appreciate it. And I'm wondering, coming out of this If this gave you any new ideas, perspectives, thoughts, please get in touch and share. Send me a voicemail or just reach out to jason at zerototravel.com. And you heard Joe's a little anxious about (laughs) settling down, quote unquote. And he's doing it in a way that opens himself up for travel later. I want to highlight a little bit of that part of the conversation because I think it's important, especially if you are somebody who is, let's say, averse to permanently settling down. Yet, if you've been on the road for some years or you're a traveler and you are, quote-unquote, settled down, 
but you feel the pull of travel, the pull of the road, and you just trying to balance those two worlds, right? The, the idea of being in a community and being in one place and getting yourself set up, but also leaving yourself open for travel. Okay, now the thing that stood out to me with Joe's story is how he's committing to settling down. This is the thing I wanted to highlight. It's not the settling down part that can prevent you from traveling later. It's how you commit to settling down. In his case, he's doing a one and a half year school program after traveling. And to me, that's really looking at life in smaller chunks of time. Now, sometimes that's forced. If you're talking about a school program, well, it's 18 months long. That's how long the program is. Or in my case, when I was living nomadically, a lot of my income was generated from contract work. So that really forced me to be open-ended, much more than, say, a corporate job would have done, because with some kind of corporate job, there is really no end in sight. And in that case, you might have to create some parameters for yourself. So I think the overall message I wanted to share here is this idea of looking at life in smaller chunks of time and not getting overwhelmed or caught up in the idea of having to decide what you want to do for the rest of your life. Because you can commit to smaller things and still leave yourself open to travel. Maybe you want to just go and try out a city for a year and then you know you're going to travel after. You say, hey, I'm going to settle down in the city for a couple of years. I'm going to live like this lifestyle. And then after two years, I'm going to reassess and decide what I want to do, if I want to hit the road again or not. It's just a different mindset, really. And that's what it comes down to, as opposed to just say, going somewhere with no plan and just kind of being there indefinitely and not being sure about what you might do next, which is okay. I mean, who's who's always sure about what they're going to do next? (laughs) I mean, I know I'm not. I I still don't know what I'm going to be doing next year, even though I'm quote unquote settled down. So I think really being settled down comes down to a mindset. And of course, it does change your decisions. And I've used this example before, but when I bought a place when I was living in Colorado, I knew I wanted to leave myself open for more travel. I didn't want to shut the door on that. So I made sure that the HOA, as part of the Condo Home Association, allowed rentals. I got a place with a garage and I built a storage in the back so I could stash my stuff in there and take off and rent it out if I needed to. At the very least, have a place to put my stuff and I wasn't going to get in trouble for for renting the place out because it was legal to do so. So just the simple fact that I was conscious of the desire to leave myself open for more travel in the future changed the way I looked at real estate, the way I made decisions about the place I was going to buy because my core value was travel. And even though I was quote unquote settling down, I wanted to be intentional about it and make sure I was doing it in a way that still left me open for travel in the future and that it wouldn't be so difficult. It doesn't mean you, you know, if you don't do that, you're screwed and you can never travel again. You can always, you know, sell your stuff, get rid of stuff, move, whatever. But I do think being conscious of your desire to travel in the future, even if you're settling down, can impact the decisions you make and how you go about your life and the things that you want to commit to and The last thing I'll say as the overarching concept is just looking at life in those smaller chunks of time. To me, 
it's a much more sane way of approaching life, a lot less overwhelming and a lot easier to kind of wrap your head around. I don't personally mind committing to things long term, but I also like the idea that I have the conscious ability to chunk things out in a certain way if I want to. So I just leave that open to interpretation, do with it what you will. But that was something big for me that I pulled out of this conversation and a good reminder for me as somebody who has two kids and is pretty settled down, I sometimes have to remind myself that, hey, this is a mindset and I'm only as settled down as I want to be. And I know that nothing's permanent. Nothing is permanent. And you do have that ability to change your life in a moment's notice. And sometimes the external world does that for you, but you can do it for yourself as well. So just a few thoughts out there, throwing them out there. I appreciate you listening and sticking with me through another episode. I appreciate you so much. I'm going to reach into the quote drawer now and see what I pull out. See if we can use the magical, mystical properties of podcasting and pull something out that's in line with today's show. Let's see. This is from Bank Kai, who said, deep down, fundamentally, we are the, quote, unborn. We never came into being and we never go out of being. All of these comings and goings are just pulses in the pattern. There you go. Some wisdom from the East. (laughs) Thanks for listening. Appreciate you. Love you. Have a wonderful day. And I'll see you next time. Cheers. This podcast has been brought to you by ZeroToTravel.com. Ideas and advice to make your travel dreams a reality.